This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. The issue is that what's really not safe is sleeping on the street and being at risk of freezing to death because five people, at least this winter, have already died of exposure, including one, a man named Tommy Hutchinson, who is a senior, and he froze to death in his wheelchair outside. So when the city says, oh, asbestos, oh, the roof isn't safe in part of the building, okay, well, Tommy's dead. What are you going to do about that? Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, brought to you by TAPCO Credit Union and Libro FM. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, an American teacher abroad. The core of this show, like what I have been striving to do since 2017, is have conversations about the impact of national issues on local communities featuring local experts. And there's no more important national issue right now to me than housing. Housing is a right And housing is increasingly becoming unaffordable to working people all over the United States as wages simply have not kept up with the rising cost of housing. This situation is great for homeowners like me, but is awful for literally everybody else. And one way in which this has manifested itself in my own life is thinking about like my 10 years at Lincoln High School. I arrived at Lincoln High School in 2009 during the depths of the housing collapse and the Great Recession. I departed in 2019 in a smoking hot housing market, a market in which basically Tacoma is the hottest housing market in the United States. If you're not from Tacoma, don't tune out because the thing is, is what's happening in Tacoma happened in Oakland, happened elsewhere, and is going to happen to you sooner or later if we don't get our head around how to deal with housing. So my guest for today's conversation is Rebecca Parson. She's an activist with Tacoma Housing Now. She's a former candidate for the U.S. House. She ran against Derek Kilmer in the 6th District, and we're going to talk about their advocacy and their vision. Then in the second segment of the show, we're going to have a conversation about activism uh, under a Democratic administration. So some context for that. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably know me from my advocacy about racial justice or about policing, but like most likely about educational matters and educational justice. But here's the thing. I started talking about ed advocacy in like 2011. My first foray into activism was actually back in like 2004. I was an anti-war organizer against the war in Iraq and to a lesser extent, the war in Afghanistan. And one of my lessons, one of my learnings from that experience is is that essentially the mm, end of the anti-war movement in the United States was hastened and precipitated by the ascent of a democratic president. And what happened is with the election of Barack Obama, the anti-war movement got complacent and the anti-war movement ended and essentially the wars did not end. Like we removed troops from Iraq, but like the war in Afghanistan is still a thing. If you listen right now in the background, I think you can hear the call to prayer. Anyway, 
So what I want to do today is I want to talk to Rebecca about those kind of two issues. One, what's happening with housing in Tacoma. And then two, like, what does it mean to be and how is she wrapping her head around being a policy advocate for progressive issues under a Democratic president? Before that conversation, though, some housekeeping, some admin stuff. Uh, I'm almost finished with cast. And y'all, Isabel Wilkerson can write, like, holy hell, like, I did not know what I was getting into. This book is outstanding. It's harrowing. It's heartening. It's, uh, it's disheartening, too, at the same time. It's, it is probably the single best examination of race and cast in America that I've ever read. And I want you to be part of our conversation we're going to have about this book. We're going to be recording our next hashtag Nerd Farm Reads Book Club episode in late January. That means you still have time. Go to King's Books and buy a copy of Cast. Tell them Nate sent you. Or if you prefer an audiobook, log on to Libro FM and join. Libro FM is a sponsor and a partner of Channel 253. If you join Libro FM, you get one audiobook a month or one credit for one audiobook a month for $15. And if you use promo code Tacoma when you join, you'll get credit for two audiobooks for your first month. So one book free, your first free book might as well be cast. And then once you have your hands on the book, read about it, sorry, read it and tweet about it using hashtag NerdFarmReads, and we will use your tweets and your ideas and your input on the show. All right. So we'll be back in a second. And when we come back, Rebecca and I will be talking about housing policy and Tacoma Housing Now. And we are back. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Nate. So I've been um, admiring from afar some of the work that Tacoma Housing Now has been doing. Uh, but I think that only folks who are hyper online like myself uh, have been following everything you all have been up to. So for the benefit of folks who aren't in Tacoma and maybe aren't as online as I am right now, uh, what is Tacoma Housing Now and what are you trying to accomplish? Tacoma Housing Now is a group that started uh, about five or six weeks ago. A uh, coalition, people from different groups, people who are unaffiliated activists came together uh, because we wanted to find a solution to the issue of homelessness in Tacoma, which is just getting worse and worse, despite the fact that the city declared a state of emergency over homelessness almost four years ago. Uh, it's getting worse and worse. And then with the pandemic, there are a lot of evictions looming. So we came together and last month in November, we... Um, took an empty middle school, Galt Middle School, which had been empty for 11 years. So we took it for emergency pandemic housing. And we brought in with us a team of people who could provide what the city refers to as wraparound services. So we had a licensed physician, EMTs, psychologist, uh, electricians, construction workers ready to go in and turn this into not just a place to sleep, but a community and a place that's really taking care of all the people there. Um, unfortunately, the police came, rolled up in, with 20 cops in hazmat suits and threatened us with felonies um, that evening. So we decided we peacefully left, um, but we're continuing the struggle. And so we are continuing to take direct actions. We have a big one coming up on Christmas Day um, that I'm very excited about. Um, but between Galt and what's coming up on Christmas Day, we've been doing stuff like uh, we blocked off an intersection downtown and put a tent in the middle of it. We, um, one of our short-term demands is for the city to um, provide trash service to all the camps. Um, so far they're refusing. So we went to a camp, spent three hours uh, shoveling their trash into bags, put it in U-Hauls and dumped it in front of city hall. Um, and wouldn't you know that uh, that trash got removed within a day. <laughs> so it turns out that they, they can actually address the trash issue quickly if they want to. 
Um, and so we we take direct action because we believe that all the talking that's been done, um, you know, all the all the empathy and compassion and nice words and all of this stuff hasn't gone anywhere because the problem is just getting worse. Um, our primary demand is a community land trust um, and for the city to put as many buildings into our land trust as are needed to house Tacoma's entire homeless population. Um, a community land trust is a uh, legal structure that it can keep property and buildings in it um, and keep them permanently affordable. So they would be available to extremely low income people forever. So that's a brief uh, summary of what we've been up to and what we're looking to achieve. That's so interesting. So interesting. So many different strings to pull on there. Um, you talked about the organization being founded only like five or six weeks ago. Uh, what was the impetus that led you to uh, help create this organization? Well, it's one camp. One of our coalition partners is Food Not Bombs Tacoma, and mm -hmm. they've been working with a bunch of different camps ever since the pandemic started, so about nine months now. And uh, one of the camps, the 509, the, the people who live there call it the 509 camp, uh, they have been um, booted, you know, evicted from previous two previous locations. And now they are under constant threat here. You know, they've been told they have to leave, but the police haven't come to actually, you know, remove their stuff and force them to leave. And so with that latest eviction threat, it just became even more urgent. And it's always... Uh, um, it's always detrimental to people, to houseless people, to have to move their camps. It's especially detrimental during a pandemic because we're trying to shelter in place, right? And stay quarantined. They don't have a home, so um, they don't have a house. So the best they can do is, is stay in the camp they're in. But to have people being constantly um, booted and you know having to move all over the city is very unsafe during a pandemic. So that was the um, you know final thing, that, that, that final impetus. You mentioned Food Not Bombs. Who are some of the other coalition partners who you're working with on this? Uh, we've got people who are unaffiliated and they were involved, um, who uh, were involved with the Occupy NWDC uh, protests a few years ago. Um, we have a member, a socialist alternative endorsed um, Tacoma Housing Now. We have one of their members works with us. Um, we have uh, members of DSA. We have all kinds of groups, members of different um, yeah, lots of different people who are unaffiliated and part of different community groups coming together. Um, and it's been really amazing having Food Not Bombs Tacoma as one of the big coalition partners because uh, they've developed this relationship with people over time. It takes time to build trust with anybody. Um, and so we have this great relationship, especially with 509 Camp. And so every decision we make, every protest, um, every decision, every move we make, um, we run by the camp residents and they okay it or they offer suggestions or they say they don't want to do it. They give us ideas and we have weekly meetings in person at camp so they can participate. When you were talking about setting up shop at Galt, I think in the alternative universe that makes more sense and in which like serving people is the goal, the city would have came to you and said, this is awesome. How can we help? Yeah. But instead, they basically removed the, 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 the situation of stability that you had created. Did they give you any reason or rationale to why they were doing that? Yeah, the building is owned by the school district, and so, uh, but the city, the school district, and the housing authority have been in talks for a long, long time, years, about using this building for something. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, this it was the school district and the city we were dealing with. We wanted the city to negotiate with the school district for us. 
Um, and the excuse that the police gave the city, the school district was that the building was unsafe, uh, that there was asbestos in the building. And we took that back to the residents and said, they're telling us we need to leave because of asbestos. What's your decision? They said, um, you know, living with asbestos is better than freezing to death on the street. So we want to stay. Um, that was their answer. And so that's what we told uh, the city and the police. And then, then the excuse was, well, the roof is caving in. It's not safe. Um, well, the roof was caving in in one part of the building over the gymnasium. And uh, we had actually been told that before the city started using this excuse. And so we blocked it off and told everybody not to go in there and stay in the rest of the building. Um, because the issue is that what's really not safe is sleeping on the street and being at risk of freezing to death because five people at least this winter have already died of exposure, including one, a man named Tommy Hutchinson, who is a senior and he froze to death in his wheelchair outside. So when the city says, oh, asbestos, oh, the roof isn't safe in part of the building. Okay, well, Tommy's dead. What are you going to do about that? It's, it seems to me, and I, so like for, for folks who are new to the show or like kind of don't know the history, we've had lots of conversations about housing policy on the show. And we've looked at it from lots of points of views as like landlord point of view, renter point of view. Uh, in many ways, the problem of housing is almost bigger than local government, but also there's like work for local government to do. So I guess my question or wonder for you is, is, is what would you like the city of Tacoma to be doing right now? I'd like them to meet the bare minimum of CDC guidelines for camps, which they are not doing. So these are federal CDC guidelines. They refuse to put porta potties at every camp. They refuse to put hand washing stations at every camp. They refuse to pick up the trash from every camp. You know, when you, when I'm sitting in my house and I'm looking at the trash truck rolling by, I don't see them go to my neighbor on that side and my neighbor on the other side and be like, but <clears throat> We're not going to pick up the trash from Rebecca. We're just going to keep on going because we only pick up trash from select houses. So we would like them to be treated with that bare minimum of respect and to follow the CDC guidelines. Long term, we'd like them to actually work with us instead of, uh, you know, we've met with the mayor and city council members a couple of times. And uh, they're just they're just doing the same thing that they've done, you know, for years, which is oh, we really, you know, admire your compassion. We really feel for those people. OK, if you really feel for them, put your money where your mouth is, put buildings into our land trust. We have a legal team. Uh, they filed with the state. We have a nonprofit land trust. It's ready. They could put buildings into it right now, um, but they're not. So that's what we would like, those short term demands and also this long term demand. And. You're right that the issue of housing is huge and uh, local governments are much more strapped for cash in the federal government, as we can see from these bailouts where they essentially printed money to bail out uh, billionaires. Uh, local governments can't do that kind of thing, but what they can do is use what they have, which is a ton of empty buildings. You mentioned leveraging empty buildings. What are some of the facilities in the community that you would like for the city to be uh, taking advantage of and opening up for homeless populations? One is the Galt School. I know that it would cost a lot of money to rehab it, but I think that's better than demolishing a hundred year old building, which is what the city always does. Just demolish, demolish, demolish and put up these new buildings. We have this beautiful, historic old building here. Just spend the money, use it for permanent housing. You now, if the city has enough money to, uh, well, I, won't, I won't get into all the budget talks, but use Galt. No, get into it, get into it. <laughs> this is the venue, get into it. <laughs> Like what we asked, you know, like Tacoma DSA did a, you know, campaign 
you know, having people call city council, defund the police, defund by 50%, fire the police who killed Manuel Ellis, um, and they refuse, refuse, refuse. I believe that the mayor directed the city manager to fire the cops, and then the city manager just didn't. It's like, okay, who runs Tacoma? I don't really like that a somebody who's not democratically elected could do that. But we have so much money to keep paying the salaries of people who killed Manny Ellis, but we don't have money to house homeless people. Um, so we, the money's there. It's just, what are we spending it on? So yes, put Galt into, um, into the land trust. Um, also Cushman substation and Adams substation. Uh, those have been empty. Those have been talked about for a long time being used for something because they aren't right now. Uh, there's also a fire station, a historic fire station on the Tide Flats that's not in use. Um, we've, we've driven by and looked at that location. It's really far away from uh, from downtown and grocery stores and stuff, but could be a great location for maybe a clinic, a free clinic for houseless people. Um, so there's lots of options with buildings around there like that. There's a um, few other empty schools. Um, Old City Hall, for example, the city still owns it, but they gave a contract to Eli Moreno. Um, he's the developer who bought the Merco building and kicked out all the low-income tenants. That's him who they gave the development contract to. And he has a contract to put in uh, so-called micro units into Old City Hall and um, a speakeasy in the jail in the basement. So people are living on the streets under bridges. Do we need a speakeasy in the jail of, of Old City Hall? Do we need micro units where you pay $1,000 for 150 square feet? $1,000 is not affordable to the people we're working with because their income is $0. So that's the kind of thing with the city, who they prioritize. You know, middle-income people and uh, wealthy people and real estate developers. Um, and I believe that we should have a preferential option for the poor, okay? The poor, the homeless, should be treated with greater preference because they have so little, they have so much less than everybody else. So why can't we put more resources into that? I I feel like the perception of the activism is that Tacoma Housing Now was engaging in like very radical activity and making radical demands. But it sounds to me that all you're saying is, is that the city of Tacoma and the community, starting community should be leveraging buildings that are just sitting empty right now to house people who are experiencing homelessness and then provide support services to them, which does not sound very radical to me at all. No, it's not radical at all. And it's uh, honestly what they say they want. They just refuse to actually do it. And um, maybe they view our methods as radical, but we're not harming anybody. We choose our actions very carefully. We put a lot of thought into what we do and everything is done with the members of the camp being our full and equal organizing partners. And so the fact that, uh, you know, the uh, emergency declaration on homelessness that was declared almost four years ago, yet the problem has only gotten worse. I believe the state legislature a few years ago, they directed all uh, municipalities to reduce homelessness, I believe by half. Instead, it's almost mm -hmm. doubled. And so just this talk is not working. And already our direct actions are seeing an effect. You know, we have almost everybody on the city council reached out to us and was very proactive in setting up meetings with us. Um, we also, they agreed to have the warming shelter be open 24 seven instead of only on inclement days. Uh, one thing that I had been saying over and over is that the night Tommy died, the, what, the shelter was not open because the weather was deemed not inclement enough. So they decided to keep the 20 the warming shelter open 24 7. now we're pushing them to keep it open past december 31st because the weather doesn't magically get better on january 1st um, so that's one thing we're pushing for 
right now. But our demands are really, like you said, I think they're very reasonable. Maybe we're using tactics that people haven't in Tacoma in a while, but the tactics we're using are, um, we're not harming anybody. We're trying to help people and we're just trying to get the city to do what it says it wants to do. You mentioned the the warming center, and I sense a pattern with the distribution around the city of resources. I'm wondering, where is the warming center located? The warming center is on the east side. It's in the east side community center. And the issue with that, especially when it was only open um, during inclement weather, was that people didn't know when when it would be open. They didn't know how to find mm-hmm. out. And most of the people of the camps that we work with uh, didn't even know it existed. And the, the other thing is the way it was determined what days it would open. It's not like every day they would look at the weather forecast for that day and decide. They would base, they would set the schedule for the whole week ahead. So let's assume Sunday evening, they look at the weather forecast for the week of head, ahead and they decide which days it's going to be open. So if you are in the pouring, freezing rain on Saturday and you want to know if it's open, you don't have their number, then you have to figure out what the weather forecast for Saturday was last Sunday. And so it's very opaque to figure out how, you know, when is it open? And also, how do you get there? Um, there's supposed to be vouchers for houseless people to use the bus for free. Nobody mm-hmm. knows where to get them. There's also supposed to be hotel vouchers. Nobody we've talked to knows where to get them or has heard of them. Um, so these resources are very hard to um, access. And as soon as the warming shelter went to 24-7, it started actually filling up, um, which is a great sign. And I think it shows to the city that they should keep um, shelters open 24-7. So if I'm hearing you correctly, in addition to having lots of vacant real estate that can be used to house people, there's services that are being offered, but like coordination and informing impacted populations is not going swimmingly? Yeah, it's not. It's um, the, the resources are scattered. Um, people don't know they exist. And there's also just an issue with, uh, you know, the police are constantly sweeping encampments. And Mm -hmm. so when you have somebody from the government come and say, hi, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. Like, um, are you with the cops? You know, I mean, they, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's kind of hard to trust when like one other branch of the government has just, uh, you know, taken your stuff and forced you to leave. Um, So that's an issue as well. And city that just doesn't put time into building that trust, you know, food, not bonds. And Tacoma Housing Now, we have that trust because, you know, like our medics, food, not bonds, medics, they do medic rounds three times a week. Um, one of the medics helped save a man's leg. Um, so it, you have, it's a lot of time and being with people to build the trust. Um, another example of how these resources are spread out and, and not easy to access is, so the city announced they were going to do a purple bag trash program. And <clears throat> when they first announced it, they said, we're going to do it at select encampments. We said, we don't want it at select encampments. We want it at every encampment. Um, and then they actually downscaled. And I recently looked on the description on the city's own website about the purple bag program. <clears throat> They're only going to drop off the purple bags at one location. And then people, houseless people have to go get the bags and then take the bags back to the camp, fill up the bags and take the bags back to that central purple bag location. Well, guess what? A lot of houseless people don't have cars. So how are they going to get over there, bring the bag back, fill up, two, three, four, five bags of trash and then take it back over when it could be miles away. That's not a solution. When we went this past weekend um, to, to, we spent, let's see, three hours shoveling trash 
three hours, 10 people, two U-Haul trucks, three hours. And we drove the U-Haul trucks over. It took us five minutes to dump them in front of city hall, uh, the, the trash. So if it took us that long, how, and we had access to, to rental vehicles, how do you think somebody living in a camp is going to be able to, and that's just typical. They don't put thought into it. Like, Hmm, what's the next step? How are, how are people at camps actually going to do that? So we need to take a break here, but there's just one thing that like seems really obvious to me that like maybe I'm the dim person in the conversation. You've said to the city of Tacoma that encampments need garbage service. And the city of Tacoma knows that encampments have garbage problems, but they're not willing to provide garbage service to encampments. Am, am I daft or is that what you're telling me? No, that's what that's that's accurate. Yeah. And uh the city insists, you know, the mayor and city council members insist that um, any service, the one excuse they like to give again and again is we're not service providers. The city isn't service providers. And it's like, okay, well, you don't need to have service providers. Do you need to have like the, the tr do you need to have a service provider there monitoring the pickup of trash? No. You know, there, when when uh, when the trash service comes, when um, recycling and trash comes to pick up my trash, it's not like out the side of the truck pops out a social worker and they're like, hey, Rebecca, we're here to pick up your trash. And I'm a social worker and here's some pamphlets and about the trash we're picking up. Like, no, you don't need service providers to, to pick up the trash. And they insist that any service provided, there has to be a service provider, which means there has to be a contract provided to a nonprofit or a private company to provide that service. I mean, who is this benefiting? Why are all these endless contracts going out and who's making money from it? Because they don't need a service provider to use a porta potty. They don't need a service provider for somebody to pick up their trash. So okay. that was a long way of answering your question, but uh, yes, your your question. No, I, I often find myself looking at things in city government going, well, why don't, and, and, well, let's back up. When you say, why don't they just, like you're undercutting the complexity of the world, but like sometimes things are really simple. And like, if, if <sighs> never mind, I just, Tacoma <laughs> politics stresses me out. All right. So yeah. we will be back. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show. And I also want to offer you like this thought. The conversation we're having right now about homelessness in Tacoma is important. The conversation we're having right now is in depth. 
This is not some like seven minute segment on KUOW. This is not a column in the News Tribune that has like rebuttal from the city council and the city manager's office talking about how the activists were wrong. This is an activist being able to talk about their issue and their language in their terms and their context. If this is what you like in your podcast and what you like in your storytelling, I'm going to ask you to consider joining Channel 253 as a member. Membership costs $4 a month or $40 a year, and it allows us to take activists like Rebecca and elevate their voices and have them in the conversation and to have them be heard. And I believe this is worth supporting. Rebecca, before we went to break, at one point you were talking about engaging with the city council and with the mayor and basically getting lip service you felt like from your elected officials, but then not action from government and from like the city itself. And so I guess my question is, what are your thoughts about the performance of the city manager and her handling of homelessness in the city of Tacoma? Yeah, it's interesting you ask about her performance because the city council just increased her salary citing her great performance with coronavirus. Well, her performance on homelessness has been absolutely abysmal. And uh, one of our primary six long-term demands is getting rid of the city manager position because a lot of people don't realize this about the way city government works in Tacoma. What we have is a, uh, a weak mayor system. So we have the council, uh, but the and the mayor sets the agenda for council meetings and she calls meetings to order. Um, but in terms of voting, her vote is equal to any other member of city council. And then we have a city manager who is an unelected person. We have not chosen her to be there. The city council appoints her. Uh, she's paid over $250,000 a year and she's the one who actually makes the decisions. You know, she's the one who we actually did a public records request and uh, saw an email from her where she drove by people's park when there were people living there. Um, and then she emailed the police department and said, oh, I saw what looked like drug activity. You better go check it out. So it's really the city manager who, who wields the power in this city. And people don't realize that. So how is this a democratic system when we have somebody making over $250,000 a year to make decisions for us? And also, apparently, doesn't even do what the mayor and the city council direct her to do. What happened to firing the police who killed Manuel Ellis? She just, she just said, like, no thanks. This is not what we elect people for, you know? We never get to elect the city manager. And this form of government started decades ago because of corruption in Tacoma, and it was an attempt to professionalize city government. But this is not the way. The way to professionalize something is not to take democracy away from the voters. And so what we want is um, for this position to be gotten rid of. Um, it is, it can be a lengthy process. I believe the city council would have to call together a charter review commission. Uh, and then the city council would be able to appoint everybody who goes on that commission. But you never know if there's enough direct action, maybe they'll just find a quicker way. Um, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's interesting what governments, for example, with the trash, you know, it just, it takes so long to set up trash service. We can't just call up the trash department and have them pick it up yet. They were able to do that when we dumped it in front of city hall. So maybe they can find a faster way to deal with it, but it's, uh, and it's not just, uh, it's not just the homelessness issue that the city manager gets in the way of, um, any progressive thing that comes forward. Um, and she's a lawyer. And so she looks at everything through the lens, the city and the city manager, obviously I can't read their minds, but just interpreting their actions, it looks to me like they approach um, city government, not through the lens of providing services to the people who elected, or in the case of Polly didn't elect them, 
um, they look at it through the lens of how can we prevent the city from being sued? And she's a lawyer. And so she just adds to that. Um, so whether it's homelessness or reducing funding to the police or uh, the city being stronger on environmental protections, uh, whatever the issue is, um, the city manager is a block to it and the city council uses her as a scapegoat for why they can't do things. One of the listener questions that came in was what was the city's response to the direct action uh, with trash? And so like for listeners who didn't see this in the news, uh, Tacoma Housing Now basically collected the garbage, like Rebecca mentioned, uh, from uh, a homeless encampment and brought it to City Hall and left it there. And apparently they cleaned up immediately, uh, ironically. What, what was the response from the city to your action? Uh, they haven't said anything to us about it. <laughs> yeah, they, they haven't contacted us. I don't think they've said anything publicly. You know, mm. um, our last meeting with city council members ended with them telling us that we need to be nicer and that you collect more flies with honey than vinegar um, and that we shouldn't be coming in here and making all these demands. Uh, so we just walked out of the meeting. We just uh, did a walkout. Everybody left Zoom because we're not going to be talked to like children and we're not going to have city council members uh, refuse to do their jobs. And so maybe that's why they're not, um, you know, there's not communication anymore, but so be it, you know, we're not here. We're here to get results. So we're going to keep doing these direct actions. We're going to keep escalating. Um, and you know what, that, uh, that trash was just a morning's work. Um, uh, we're going to do it again. Uh, another listener question that came in was what do you need from the community and like, what's the most impactful way to show support to your work? Yeah, thanks for asking on that. Uh, one way is to come physically and be present. Um, and our, we have different actions that have varying levels of risk. So one time we went uh, to the mayor's house to have a conversation with her. That's a very low risk action compared to blocking off an intersection or going into a building. And even when we were in the building, there were people who were not inside. They were out in front holding signs and talking to media, stuff like that. And so every action we take um, is varies a lot from low to high risk in terms of the risk to you yourself as a person. So anybody who sees what we do and thinks I can't get involved, there's definitely something that you can't get involved with. Uh, you can also um, contact us on Twitter or Facebook, and um, you can actually come to camp with us. So you'll help us serve food, come to meetings. You know, we welcome people to get involved. We don't have a hierarchical leadership structure. So you come in and you want to get involved, you can come to our decision-making meetings. Um, and if you have money to spare, which I know a lot of people don't right now, but if you do have a couple dollars, you can go to tachhousing.org, T-A-C housing.org. Uh, click on the donate button. That'll take you to our GoFundMe where you can donate. All right, so we're going to make a pivot from the conversation about tech housing to a conversation that I'm kind of curious to have about progressive activism. And so I guess to kind of build some context for you, uh, my first foray into activism was during the anti-war movement, and I was involved with uh, an organization called GI Voice. And the uh, GI Voice and a couple other things I was involved in, we like organized protests up and down the I-5 corridor. We... Uh, did demonstrations and direct actions at recruiting stations. And then at one point we established, and I, I came in after it was established, but established a coffee shop near Fort Lewis that like targeted people who were in the military for uh, information about conscientious objector status and things like that. And something that I perceive in hindsight is, is that the election of Barack Obama basically destroyed the anti-war movement and made everybody feel like, hey, we won and got complacent. And so looking at progressive activism in the Northwest and kind of around the country right now, 
I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about operating as a progressive activist uh, and trying to accomplish the policy agenda that you have on a host of different issues under the administration of a Democratic president who is perceived by many folks to be like dangerous and socialist and perceived by other folks to be like, well, God, whatever. It's just you, you get the question. So like, like, like how, how do you operate with this when like there's going to be voices and pressure saying that like we won and like not fight our own side? Yeah, it's yeah, and I, I think it's a really good comparison you made to Obama winning. People thinking, feeling, oh, phew, we can breathe a sigh of relief. We don't have to mm-hmm. protest anymore. And with Trump, you know, so many people, you know, including myself, have been spending the last four years just waiting, waiting, and <laughs> hoping that he will be kicked out of office. Um, but it's not a time to breathe a sigh of relief because um, all these problems. Um, you know, homelessness, jobs, a pandemic, like it's just going to get worse. And, um, you know, Biden is is not progressive. He's in most other countries, like in most, most of Europe, he would be considered a right-wing politician. But in the U.S., he's considered liberal. Um, but, you know, he he's the one who wrote the crime bill that incarcerated so many people of color. You know, he just recently, I saw an article this morning that he was involved in uh, he stepped in and got involved in the congressional negotiations around the recent COVID relief bill. And uh, <laughs> the quote that I saw, that one that really popped out to me, it said, um, after Biden got involved, he made them feel confident to reduce their demands. <laughs> so for me, as a progressive, um, as a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, Joseph Biden is not our friend <laughs> because we are in the middle of a world historical pandemic. Millions and millions of people have lost their jobs. <clears throat> Tens of millions are on the brink of eviction. Kids are going hungry. Parents are skipping meals so their kids can eat and their kids are still going hungry. And Joseph R. Biden goes into Congress to help the Democrats feel more confident in giving us fewer pennies. And so what we get as a result is a $600 check. The last one we got was $1,200 over half a year ago. And so he's also said that he would veto Medicare for all. If it passed Congress and it came across his desk, he would veto it. Medicare for all being a single payer system where everybody has healthcare um, without co-pays or deductibles and can get healthcare no matter how how little they make. So for me, um, Biden, Biden is not our friend. He represents the corporate conservative wing of the Democratic Party. He has huge, huge sums of money from his corporate donors, and he has to serve them because they're more powerful than we are right now. Um, so that's just on the issue of Biden. But then separately from that, the Trumpism is not going anywhere. Um, even though Trump is leaving the White House, um, the the forces that he stirred up and reawakened and made louder that already existed, but made louder are just getting more and more virulent. Um, So for example, in Olympia, um, there have been two weekends in a row of Trumpers and fascists shooting an anti-fascist protester. And I was there at the second one and this guy, there was no provocation at all. This guy had obviously just come there because he wanted to murder somebody with no provocation from very far away, so he was not physically in threat, pulled out his gun and just shot an anti-fascist protester 30 feet away from me. Uh, And then attacked some other people and fled. And uh, 
that which is an escalation from what had happened the previous weekend in Olympia. So the question is like, where's this going to go if it just keeps escalating? We have fascists, uh, Trumpers, Nazis marching in the streets. We have counter protesters who are trying to keep them from taking the streets. And this escalation, where does it go from just shooting somebody in cold blood for no reason? Does it go to actual street battles? Like, are we going to have actual battle scenes on our streets? Um, and there's, you also have to, you know, the situation here in the Pacific Northwest is different from a lot of the rest of the country. In, for example, Idaho, you have a very uh, active right. Um, and in other parts of the country, you have an active left. Here we have a very active right and a very active left. And so where the forces of Trumpism are not going to disappear and the people who are fighting back against it are not going to disappear. And um, one worry I have is that people are just going to go back to sleep. Um, particularly white people are just going to go back to sleep during a Biden administration. I mean, like, it's all good now. Um, you know, this was Obama's VP, so we can relax. Um, it's going to be fine. But this stuff isn't going to go anywhere. It's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. The right is going to keep arming itself, get more and more willing to just shoot people and use violence. And then in four years, somebody <clears throat> with Trump's values, but who is smarter and more disciplined and strategic than Donald Trump will come Tom along Cotton. and win. Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good question to ask. And I, I hope people realize that a lot of the things that we don't like about the Trump administration have existed under Democratic administrations too. And they will probably exist under Biden. So kids being separated and put in cages, children being drone bombed in uh, foreign wars, the CIA conducting endless wars in Afghanistan, for example. Um, these things happened under Democrats. Donald Trump... Um, added many horrendous things. He made many of these horrendous things worse, but uh, the Democrats aren't totally pure. And so I hope people stay engaged and are willing to push them. And like you said, I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, finally Trump uh, was beaten. We've won. Let's not fight our own. But that the voices saying that always say that no matter what the situation is. Oh, well, let's not fight them because Trump is in. It's too dangerous right now. Don't fight our own. Then once he's not in, no, we shouldn't fight our own. He's fine. We shouldn't fight our own. He's finally out of office. Then when is it the time? Um, and that leads me to believe that those arguments are not made in good faith because the answer is that it's never the time. It's never the time to criticize Democrats or push them to do the right thing, which I disagree with. So, it's funny because I'm listening to what you're saying. And I'm nodding my head at basically everything. I agree. Like the fash aren't going anywhere. The fash are awful. The fash are emboldened and the democratic party is inept. At the same time, I, I keep feeling like I find myself in these moments where I'm looking at polling data. I'm looking at like what I'm seeing in the zeitgeist and people want progressive policies, but they are rejecting progressive politicians. And I'm trying to figure out how to square this circle. And so like you mentioned the COVID relief bill, and that's the exact example where my head is. For the record, y'all who are listening, we're talking like right before Christmas. So uh, the, the I, I believe that, so checks, checks for 1200 bucks a month, sorry, 12, checks for 1200 bucks aren't enough in the first place, but there's 80% support for those checks. But the checks that are gonna go out are gonna be means tested and only $600. And so even on issues where there's broad support for progressives, we are unable to get progressive people elected in order to implement those policies. And instead we end up electing moderates who then go and do moderate things. And then we're mad they aren't progressive. Does that, 
like, am, am I reading this wrong? No, it's a it's a good point. And, um, you know, like you said, voters broadly support progressive policies like Medicare for all. Um, people want jobs and a jobs guarantee is part of the Green New Deal. Um, and yet, you know, progressive politicians often lose. Um, you know, I ran a progressive campaign against uh, Derek Kilmer in the 6th District, um, and I lost. And I learned a lot through that campaign um, and also through connecting with other progressive candidates around the country. Um, and there are a lot of structural um, advantages that moderates have because, you know, they, they have power. They built the current system that benefits them. Um, and so progressives are coming in and trying to use a system that was designed to keep them out and trying to use it to get in. And um, some of the ways that manifests are money. It's very hard to fundraise as a progressive candidate. I spent a lot of time uh, making calls to potential donors. But if you think about it purely from just a number standpoint, um, progressive, progressive candidates reject money, uh, corporate donations, corporate and corporate lobbyist donations. So that means that um, instead we're getting money from individuals um, and often we're asking them, hey, could you donate $27 or $100? Whereas if we were getting money from corporate PACs, we could call them up and say, hey, can you max out for 2,800? Because 2,800 is the maximum federal donation. Or we could ask them even 5,600 because somebody can give 2,800 in the primary and 2,800 in the general. So just call up our rich friend or um, whoever the rich donor list we've been given and get you know $5,800 for a five minute conversation. For a five minute conversation, um, I would get like $30. So there's that, you know, and money is just hugely, hugely important. Um, because especially during this pandemic, you know, we were canvassing because I got started really early. But then when the pandemic started, I stopped and we moved over to phone banking. Um, but if you even if you speak with somebody at the door or you speak with them on the phone, you might have at most a five minute conversation and they might be like nodding their head and agreeing and, you know, saying they'll vote for you. But then um, they don't hear from you for four months until it gets to the get out the vote period and you speak with them for another five minute conversation. Aside from those two five-minute conversations, they've been watching cable news and the uh, TV channel, uh, news channels, and they've been seeing constant 24-7 blanketed ads for the corporate centrist politicians who are running. Um, and this is just a huge disadvantage you could, because in marketing and in sales and in politics, repetition, repetition, repetition is what works. And you need money to do that repetition. And most progressives just can't afford to go on TV or on radio. And so they have to uh, outwork the competition, basically. Um, and so in districts, like there are some districts on the East Coast where they just have abysmal turnout because of the machine politics there that suppresses the vote. And so for a progressive politician to come in and say, hey, we're going to knock you know, 50,000 doors. Here's the plan to do it. And we're going to win. Different. We have much higher turnout here, which is a good thing. But it means you have much, many, many, many more voters to reach. So there are structural disadvantages where it's hard to look at the data and see like, all, okay, all these, we all try to do it. I've tried to do it as well. Is like, look at the trends. Okay, there was what happened in 2020. How does that compare to 2016? Um, compare midterm to midterm and try to deduce these trends. But what you don't know is, and what we can't know is inside the campaign, what was actually happening? Um, what, what were the local conditions on the ground? Uh, what kind of fundraising was the candidate able to do? What local issues were going on? Um, and then also often progressives are in the situation of having to defeat democratic incumbents. 
And defeating an incumbent is really difficult. They have name recognition. They're already trustworthy just by virtue of being in there. Um, and then you also have to, most people, like obviously we're political nerds, but most people don't pay as much attention to um, politics as we do. And so they think, well, especially Democratic voters, like Democrats are the good side and Republicans are the bad side. And if there's a Democrat in, you know, sure, I might not like everything he does. Maybe he could be, you know, a little more progressive, but he's basically fine. He's basically good. Um, and so there's a lot of education that has to be done. Well, did you know that actually, you know, he signed a letter supporting cuts to Social Security or that he is the 11th most conservative Democrat in the House or that he X, Y, Z and just go through. He voted against demilitarizing the police, you know, but that's a lot of education that has to be done. So the decks are really stacked against the progressive movement. And that's not uh, I don't want to use that as an excuse. It just means we need to work harder and get smarter. Um, the things the progressive candidates really need right now, the progressive movement is uh, fundraising ability and people like skilled um, people to work in the movement and in campaigns who know what they're doing in the different areas. How worried are you about the near future? Because one of the things that like I just can't get my head, why well, I just can't get over is the fact that in 2016, I caucus for Bernie Sanders and whether like we can talk DNC nonsense, whatever, like Hillary Clinton got more votes in the primary than Bernie Sanders did. And then Bernie Sanders had four years to build momentum, to build a movement, to build a campaign. And I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary and then Bernie Sanders got rolled by Joe Biden again. And in getting rolled by Joe Biden, like I think Michigan is the state that terrified me the most that like he literally lost every county in Michigan after winning the state in 2016. Given that happening at the, at the national level and given the idea that like Democrats actually lost seats in the House in the 2020 election, how nervous are you about losing progressive gains? Or because because here's the thing is like, so you say the deck is stacked against progressives. It is like, hell yeah, it is. But the deck was also stacked against like MAGA weirdos in the RN, in the Republican party. And like they won. And so like, oh boy, this is depressing. Like how concerned are you about the work ahead in the near future? And like the capacity of the movement to rise to the work. It is concerning. And it, those numbers, I mean, like Bernie losing all the counties in Michigan, some of that, you know, the people who supported Hillary Clinton said, you know, big part of the reason she didn't win was sexism. Uh, and maybe that is part of it. And that she was just as a candidate, uh, the sexism, also the, uh, I mean, she was one of the most unliked candidates in, in American political history. So maybe it was just Bernie was just a not Hillary vote. Um, mm -hmm. that may be part of it, but it is concerning. Uh, I think as well, like in these conversations, um, we need to talk about how progressives are, are failing to win. Then also the centrist corporate wing of the party is failing to win a lot as well. For example, there was, um, the seat in California that, uh, Katie Hill won. Um, and I, I wouldn't call her like, uh, the left wing of the party, but she supported Medicare for all. And she was, um, I think she, yeah, she flipped the seat to, from Republican to Democrat, and then the DCCC, you know, ran a candidate to replace her and they lost that seat and it's Republican again. And so I think all wings of the Democratic Party need to do some reflecting. And something that all of us need to do is focus on the things that impact people's lives. So 
demilitarizing the police, you know, as a candidate, you should be able to say things like, I'm going to fight to make sure that cops don't have like AR-15s and they're not on your streets with tanks. Um, like, I'm going to stop funding that. I'm going to fight for a jobs guarantee so you actually have a good uh, living wage union job where you can work 40 hours a week and support your family. I'm going to support Medicare for all so that uh, you don't ever have to worry about getting cancer. You don't have to worry that that like weird pain in your stomach you've had for two months is cancer that's getting worse and you haven't got checked out because you can't afford it. Um, like, I'm going to make sure that your mom doesn't <clears throat> live, um, you know, in misery, like in a terrible quality of life in her senior years because she only gets $1,000 a month in social security and you have to take care of her and your kids and work a full-time job. Like Democrats in general on from all sides of the party just aren't really good at talking about politics that way um, and they need to get better at it. That's one big thing that I think would help us. This is a I think I'm realizing a rabbit hole that I could go down with you for a month of Sundays. <laughs> and I want to just extend an invitation to have you back on the show down the road to continue this conversation because I believe in the policy platform that you are advocating for. And I think that I believe, and I think that more, I think, no, no, screw that. No platitudes. I believe in the policy platform you're advocating for. I believe a majority of voters, if presented with the policy platform advocating for, would support said policy platform. I don't know how we get said voters, self-included sometimes, to vote for the candidates who would deliver said policy platform. And that's a longer conversation than we can have right now. But Rebecca, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I want to thank you for your work with Tacoma Housing Now. Uh, we end the show with a thing called... Here, hold this L. Hold this L. And so, you know, council culture is made up. If cancel culture was real, I would have blown Matt Iglesias up a decade ago. <laughs> uh, see, life free tweets. Life free. <laughs> uh, who is somebody who you think needs to hold Nell? All the Democrats who put on kente cloths and knelt in the Capitol building, having already <laughs> voted for the fucking crime bill. I can re-say that if you want the fuck out. <laughs> the kente cloth photo. <laughs> Sorry, I, <laughs> that is so. The the ladies from IWL did a episode uh, of like moments of 2020, and when I was making my list that I shared, I did not put that on there, and I should have. It's a failure <laughs> on my part. Oh man, man, man. Okay, if yeah. people want to follow you and Tacoma Housing now on the socials, where should they look? Um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Tacoma Housing Now is at TAC Housing, T-A-C Housing. That's our handle on all of them. That's also our website, tachousing.org. If you want to follow me, I'm most active on Twitter at Rebecca for WA. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. I appreciate your activity. Uh, folks who are listening, Rebecca talked about how you can support their work. Uh, and actually, wait, let's go back to that really fast before we go. Uh, how can people one more time support the work that Tacoma Housing Now is doing? To get involved, uh, go to our Facebook or our Twitter, send us a message. Our DMs are open. Say you want to get involved. Uh, you can also go to tachousing.org, click the donate button, and give whatever you can afford to our GoFundMe. And thank right. you. Perfect, perfect. No, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Wakanda forever, y'all. Wash your damn hands. Wear a mask. Don't be stupid. Get a vaccine when you can because America's stupid. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. 
Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.